morning, and welcome to the Braille Institute Telephone Lecture Series. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and today we're going to talk about albinism. Now, albinism is one of the more common causes of vision impairment among children, and it is a condition that affects children of all races. But one of the things that's very interesting about albinism is that there are different forms of albinism, and in some of these cases, it could be associated with other types of medical conditions that are very, very dangerous. And it's very important that the child with albinism is evaluated for other types of blood disorders. So the first thing that we'll talk about is, what is albinism? Some of you may have seen people with albinism in movies, or maybe you've seen children with albinism. But albinism describes diseases in which the pigment to the hair, the skin, and the eyes, that particular pigment is not developed normally. And when we don't have the normal amount of pigment in the hair, the eyes, and the skin, it can affect many different levels of function. Now, there's two main different types of albinism that we need to talk about today. And the first one is called oculocutaneous albinism, and it is spelled O-C-U-L-O-C-U-T-A-N-E-O-U-S, oculocutaneous albinism. So as you might guess, the first part, oculo, relates to the eyes. Cutaneous relates to the skin. So this will be when a child is born with reduced pigment, reduced color to the eyes, the hair, and the skin. And when you see these children, you do notice it right away. Now, one of the things that I remember the first time that I saw a child with this condition, I was really surprised because I initially thought that I wouldn't notice that this child had albinism. I thought this child is just going to look like a blonde-haired child. And there's so many blonde-haired kids that I've seen throughout my life. I thought, oh, he's going to probably just look like a child who's got very blonde hair. He'll look like a little surfer boy. But in reality... When I first saw this child, I immediately knew, wow, this is really different. And the reason was because when I looked at this child's eyes, there were two things. The first thing was that the color of the iris of the eyes, it really wasn't like a light blue. You know how a lot of blonde-haired kids will have blue eyes. And the eyes also weren't like a green, but the eyes had almost like a little bit of a, a grayish, grayish sort of tint to it, and it looked just very different, the color. So I noticed that immediately when I saw this child. And the second thing that I noticed is that when this child came in, 
the child was squinting. You know, you don't usually see kids squinting their eyes too much. So immediately I knew, wow, this child is very sensitive to the bright light. And number three, when I got closer to this child, this child did not make eye contact. This child's eyes were constantly shaking from side to side. And that is something that is not real common to see, that a child's eyes will shake. When the eyes are shaking uncontrollably like that, that is called nystagmus, N-Y-S-T-A-G-M-U-S. So as a general rule, when you do see a child who has that type of nystagmus, they usually do have vision problems. Now, in some cases, it may be where their vision is very, very poor, and other cases, it may be mildly poor. But the way that you usually can tell how poor is their vision is by how much nystagmus is there. If the amount that the eyes are shaking is very, very large, say like a half an inch, that usually means that the vision impairment is quite severe. Also, if you observe that the nystagmus is up and down, where the eyes are bouncing up and down, that usually means their vision is even worse. So you can often determine how severe the child's vision impairment is by just looking at that nystagmus. Now, one of the things that uh, we want to find out first as it relates to working with these children is we want to get a good history. And we want to talk to the mother or the father, whoever brought them. And the first thing that we can ask them is, are there any other family members who have this condition as well? And they may say yes. The reason for that is the way that this condition is passed on, it is an inherited condition. So the most common type of condition of inheritance that this is, this is called an autosomal recessive trait. And what that means is that the gene that is responsible for this, it is something in which both mom and dad would need to have this particular type of genetic condition. Now, when we think about this, this is what's called a recessive gene. So to kind of review our genetics, we have many pairs of chromosomes. And on these chromosomes, if you have one that is normal and the other that is abnormal, the normal gene will usually produce the genetic material that is needed. So for these cases, these parents who only have one bad gene, they will not have the albinism. 
So, for example, a lot of parents, they don't even know that they have an abnormal albinism gene because there's nothing wrong with them. But if they are to marry and have a child with another person, and that other person has one bad gene and one good gene, then there is that possibility that the two bad genes will come together for this baby. So there is a possibility that the baby will be born with albinism when neither of the parents have it themselves. It's just that they are carriers of the gene. So in this particular type of case, if both parents are carriers of the gene and the baby inherits each of the bad genes, one from mom and one from dad, then that baby will have albinism. And this particular form of albinism is the oculocutaneous albinism, where it affects the eyes, the hair, and the skin. Now, the good thing about this condition is the fact that as far as with the child's vision, the child's vision from birth all the way up to the first seven years of life, it is possible that the child's vision may improve. In other words, as the child grows older, the work that you do with these kids, it can help to improve their vision. Another thing that is good about oculocutaneous albinism is that they do not become totally blind. I have never seen a case of oculocutaneous albinism where the person's vision kept worsening and they became totally blind. Now let's talk about the visual skills. What kind of vision do these children with oculocutaneous albinism have? Well, the first thing is that because the iris of the eyes does not have enough color to it, light passes through the iris and they really can't regulate how much light is coming in. So the first symptom that you will notice is that these kids are often very sensitive to the light. That is a condition called photophobia. They're afraid of the bright light. Now, when you do notice that your patient there is photophobic, you want to position them if you could position them inside your room such that their back is facing windows and doors and sources of glare. We don't want their face to be facing the windows because it will be too bright. Another thing that we're going to do is we're going to recommend to the parents that they purchase a hat for the child. And it's best to get a hat that's going to have a dark brim. And the reason for the dark brim is that the dark brim will absorb the light. If we were to get a hat that has a white brim, the light from the sun is going to reflect off of that brim into their eyes, and it's going to be bright for them still. 
What if we could find a hat that's going to have a darker brim, the dark color absorbs the light, and then the kids are able to tolerate that brightness much, much better. Next, we're also going to recommend that these kids begin to wear sunglasses. And the sunglasses are also going to reduce the glare that they have. But the sunglasses are also going to protect the internal lens of the eye from becoming damaged and developing a cataract. What we know is that for a lot of people who are sensitive to the light, the ultraviolet radiation from the sun and the ultraviolet radiation from fluorescent light bulbs, that can cause the formation of a cataract. And we hope that we could prevent the formation of a cataract for these kids. So we're going to recommend that they're going to be fit with tinted sunglasses. Now, the type of tinted sunglasses that usually we recommend is something that's called a transitions polycarbonate. Now, the transitions lens is a type of lens that it will convert from a clear lens, and when you go outside in the sun, it'll turn dark. And we can order the lens so that it could turn to a dark brown, or it could turn into a dark gray or a dark green. Also, what we could do with these types of lenses is that we could also tint them. Now, the reason that we might tint them is that there are some kids that when they're inside the classroom or they're inside the house, it's still a little bright for them. So we could put them underneath a liquid tint. And let's say, for example, for indoors, that this little girl does best with a blue tint. We will tint those lenses slightly blue. And then she could wear these glasses inside the classroom and not have to squint. Then when she goes outside for recess to play, the lenses will then turn dark gray, and she'll be able to see when she's outdoors. And then we'll remind her to put on her hat so that she could be very, very comfortable even when she's outside. Now, another thing about these lenses, the transition lenses that we talked about, we also recommend the polycarbonate transitions. Polycarbonate, P-O-L-Y-C-A-R-B-O-N-A-T-E. Now, that's a very specialized type of material for the lenses. It's the lightest lens available, so it's easier for kids to wear. And it's also the strongest lens available. So let's say that, you know, the kids are playing on the playground and somebody throws a rock and it hits her. Well, these glasses, they won't shatter and break. They will actually protect her eyes. So that is something that's very, very important and it's very, very helpful. 
Another thing that's really good about these polycarbonate transition lenses is that if the eye doctor measures that this child will benefit from glasses, then we could put the prescription in these glasses. So it makes everything very, very, very convenient. So, so far we talked about the hat and the sunglasses. And next we're going to talk about the child's glasses prescription. Now, even when a child is as young as one day old, the optometrist has equipment where we can look in the eyes and we can measure if the light is focusing inside the eye properly or if it's focusing blurred. And when we do that, we can then determine that child's prescription. Something to keep in mind is that most children who do have albinism, they do have a glasses prescription. So this is why many of them, early on in life, they may not make good eye contact with mom or dad, is because they do need glasses. When we prescribe these glasses to them, we often may find that the shaking, the nystagmus of the eyes improves. We also may find that they make better eye contact. And as the months and years go by, we will play different games with the kids to teach them how to follow your face or how to follow a toy or how to follow an object on the computer screen. And that will reduce that type of nystagmus. So the glasses prescription is something that is very, very important. Number four is that in some cases, we may also recommend that a child wears a tinted prescription contact lens. There are many, many cases that if you put a contact lens on the eye, the nystagmus will stop completely. Now, this is something that really helps us because it helps the child to see better. It helps the parents feel better because their child is now making eye contact. But the only problem with it is that some parents are not comfortable with putting a contact lens on their child's eye. But many times when the parents see how it improves their vision, they are then convinced that this is something that they should do, and then they quickly learn how to do it. Now, with these contact lenses, we could put their prescription in there, and we could also tint the contact lens. So we could tint the contact lens so that the eye color of the child, the cosmetic appearance of the eye, it looks so much better. And this is really, really important because if we could reduce the shaking of the eye and if we could give the eye a color that is common with many kids who have blonde hair and such, the kids look more common. They look more natural. And this means so much to the parents because the parents are so concerned 
because many other parents, many other children, people often sort of stare at their child because their child looks different. So this is something that is very, very important, and these are all things that we could do early on to help them. Another thing that is very common with children with albinism is that the alignment of their eyes is not straight. They often have strabismus, which means that maybe one eye is crossed or one eye is turning outward, but the alignment of the eye is not correct. When we prescribe glasses for them or contact lenses, many times that will straighten the eye. But if there are situations and we prescribe these glasses and within six months the alignment is not getting any better, we may then refer these children to have eye muscle surgery to straighten the eyes. And that could be very, very helpful. Now, when we do recommend that a child receives this kind of eye muscle surgery, we often are going to recommend some patching. So this way, we will patch the stronger eye and force the child to use that weaker eye, and they then learn how to use that muscle to move and to follow and to make eye contact and to do all sorts of things so much better. And as the child gets even older, when we're talking about one to two years of age, we may then prescribe specialized low vision glasses. This might involve a bifocal lens, and the bifocal lens will magnify pictures or photographs that they're looking at. Or when the child's looking at his or her food on the plate, the food will be magnified so they could see it better. And when the kids are a little bit older, we're talking about three and four years of age, we may recommend other types of low vision devices. We might recommend a magnifier. We might even recommend a video magnifier. And for some kids, some kids who have albinism, if their distance vision is blurred, we may fit them with a pair of glasses that has a small telescope in it. This is called a bi-optic telescope. Now, it is so amazing to see how quickly they learn to use this. Now, a lot of people think, wow, why are you making him wear them? Those glasses look weird. It's got this thing sticking out of them. Yeah, it does look different, but the advantage is that they learn how to use these glasses much faster at an earlier age, and then they could see what's going on across the playground. They could see what the teacher's doing in the classroom. They could watch TV from across the room. And as they gather more information visually, it helps them with their overall development. And these kids very often, very often, when they're 16 years old, they could use those telescopic glasses and get a driver's license.
that is what is so great about this condition is that these kids, they can drive, play sports. They could do basically everything if they've been introduced to using these low vision aids and doing these vision stimulation exercises early. Now, there's a couple other things that are interesting about oculocutaneous albinism, and that is the optic nerve is the nerve that connects the eye to the very back of the brain. And if you feel the back of your head, you could feel a bump in the very back center of your head. That is the occipital lobe of the brain. Well, that is basically how we're able to see. The light rays come into the eye and they focus onto the retina. And the retina is the wallpaper that lines the inside of the eye. Now, the retina then sends fibers through the optic nerve and all of that information ends up at that occipital lobe of the brain. But we have found that it's really interesting. There's something different about the optic nerves of these children with albinism. The fact that they don't have pigment has changed the development of the optic nerve a little bit. So this is why it's very important that the kids with albinism, that we do vision stimulation early on. When we force these kids to look at colors and shapes and moving objects and video games, it forces the stimulation of the optic nerve and the occipital lobe of the brain, and it promotes the development of visual processing or visual perception skills. If we don't do that, these kids may have other types of problems where when they see things, it takes them longer to understand what it is. Kind of like kids with dyslexia. They could see those letters, but they have a harder time processing it. Another thing that happens with kids with oculocutaneous albinism is that their eye-hand coordination skills have also been affected. So many of them have difficulty learning to use a fork or tying a shoe or printing and writing. So this is also why we need to intervene and do these types of exercises with these kids at an earlier age. So overall, you can see how there are so many different visual skills that are affected with oculocutaneous albinism, but we have activities and low vision aids and treatments that could be implemented and you will be able to teach the parents and the teachers how to do these activities early on. So these kids are going to be way ahead of the game. These kids are so blessed to have you guys working with them. There are not many people who know what you guys know. I really mean that. And I think that the kids here in Southern California are so blessed to have you there to help. 
Now, the other type of albinism I want to talk about is called ocular albinism. Now, in this one, you could hear that we say ocular albinism. So this means it's albinism just of the eyes. If you look at their hair, they have normal colored hair, normal colored skin. And also, when you look at their eyes, many times the color of their iris is very normal. I remember the first time that I saw a child with this particular condition, it was a Japanese child. And I said, I don't think these parents have it right. They told me that it's albinism. But when I then looked inside the eye, I could see that inside the eye, it did not have the normal color. It didn't have the normal pigment. So these children who do have ocular albinism that only affects the eyes will generally have the same problems as a child with oculocutaneous albinism. They are sensitive to the sunlight. They have the nystagmus. They usually have a prescription for glasses. They have abnormal development of the optic nerve. They have difficulties with visual processing, difficulties with their eye-hand coordination. And these kids benefit from the same exercises that we talked about. You could recommend these same types of exercises, and it's going to help them significantly. Now, one of the things that we do know is that in ocular albinism, this is something that is a X-linked recessive gene. Okay, it's usually an X-linked recessive gene. So that means the mother is either a person with the condition or she is a carrier. And when she and the father have a new baby, one of those genes that the mother gives is the gene that has ocular albinism. Now, it's very important that we do refer these kids to other specialists as well if they haven't already been so. It's good for them to see a geneticist. It is not your place to try to explain all the genetics to the parents, especially because many times in ocular albinism, it is something that is transmitted by the mother, and the mother may feel very, very guilty about this. Number two, we also want to refer these kids to have their blood tested. In addition to the visual problems, they may inherit different types of blood disorders. And these blood disorders can be very, very serious. So we would need to have them tested for this because these blood disorders could kill.
kill them. And number three, I think it's also very good if there is a support group in your neighborhood available. I think it's very helpful for these parents to meet other parents who have albinism. There is an organization called NOAA, N-O-A-H, the National Organization of Albinism and Hypopigmentation. But this is good for other parents to meet other parents who have children with this. And it's also good for the children to meet other children who have the condition so that they understand that other people could have these types of conditions too. I know for myself, when I was diagnosed with my retinal condition, at first I didn't want to see anybody and I didn't want anybody to see me. But I then went to a meeting, and it was so helpful for me. It was so helpful for me to hear that there are other adults and young adults and older adults who have vision impairment. But when I heard all the things that they're doing, I said, gosh, I could do this too. I could go out with them when we can go get chili burgers and in and out and all that good stuff. And it was a lot of fun. Now, the main thing that when we think about albinism, we think about the question, why is their vision blurred? Their distance vision usually is about 20 over 50 to 20 over 200. And the reason that it is that way is because of the fact that the retina which lines the inside of the eye, is made up of rod and cone cells. And the cone cells are located right in the center, and the cone cells are the one that give us our ability to see small details. Well, in people with albinism, the cone cells don't have enough pigment. And when they don't have enough pigment, they don't function normally. So that is why they don't see quite as clearly. So the main new treatment that we're very excited and we're watching are stem cell transplants. Is there a way that we could inject stem cells to provide pigment to those cone cells, which would give better vision? So that may truly be one of the cures for this particular condition. So in summary, albinism is something that many people are extremely frightened of. They think it's the worst kind of condition to have. People are so worried that these kids are going to die of skin cancer. But no, we can have them wear sun protection We have them wear the hat, the sunglasses. We get them the low-vision devices. We get them the computer technology. We do the therapy with them to develop their processing. And they can live a very, very comfortable, very, very happy life. So at this time, does anybody have any questions? Are there any questions out there? And if nobody has any questions... 
I I understand that. We could save it for the next time. I know that uh, Mr. Burden has another uh, appointment he has to attend. So does anybody have any questions? Okay. Well, I thank you very much for all of your attention, and we'll be talking about some other types of activities. So thank you all very, very much for your time. You have a wonderful day, and Mr. Burden, I appreciate it very much. Thank you very much.